everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Alison Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. My name's Allison. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And uh, it's been a minute since I've been back with you in this way, about three months to be exact. Um, My baby Aviva turned three months yesterday, and I am still sleep deprived. So we're uh, jumping back in a little rusty, but trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to come and and do his good work. So um, we are wrapping up a series this morning on the metaphors of life based on the book of John. It's these I am statements of Jesus that he's making. And today we're really landing on what I think is like the penultimate example, the penultimate metaphor of the vine and the branches. Um, This is one of the most theologically rich and practical passages in the entire Bible, in my opinion. Um, And there's just way too many layers to unpack uh, that I'm not going to do it justice in about 25 minutes today. We could probably honestly do an entire series just on what this truly means, that Jesus is the vine and that we're the branches. Um, But before we do that and jump into Uh, the Gospels, I want to set the stage with some passages in the Old Testament because the Bible is just full of growing and farming metaphors. This is the way that God is drawing our attention to the source of life. So to start off here, I've got these up here on the screen for you, and later you can grab your Bibles and we'll camp out in John. Um, But first off, Isaiah 5 one and two says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And it goes on in verse 7 to say, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And similarly to this, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2, 21 to 22 says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. Verses 8 through 30 continue on in Jeremiah, or sorry, in Isaiah, back up to Isaiah, um, to describe these metaphorical wild vines. And there are six different woes that, are, that Isaiah is bringing before the people. There are laments that the fruit is really bitter. And it's the fruit of Israel's character that is bitter and decaying. And then he gives these therefore statements 
Like here's the natural consequence that's going to come out of the harvest of your life because your character has gone sour. And I want you just to have these in your mind as we jump into John, because I really think these agricultural metaphors get lost on us a little bit um, because so much of how we make progress today in life is all about quick acquisition of money or fame or power, um, popularity, getting ahead of somebody else. And it really has not a lot to do with like this slow and steady work of growing something in your life. And I think we know by experience that making progress in our character, making progress in the heart is one of the hardest things that we can ever do. That's true for me. And I think we all probably know this. We just sense we're swimming upstream. We're fighting an uphill battle against our own souls trying to be good. And really, if you're not working on growing, then you're decaying. That is also true, as we're going to look at this passage, um, there really isn't a steady state of your soul. It's either going toward a place of chaos and destruction, or it's going towards health and life and vitality and goodness and joy. And Jesus really wants to address this in his farewell speech with his disciples. So we're going to pick up in John 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, John 15. We're going to stay in verses 1 to 11. There are extras in the back if you need one, but I'll give you a second to turn there. I'm going to grab mine too. All right. Page 1128. Oh, no, that's probably not the right page. Is it up there? It is. 1128 in your Bibles. All right. Jesus says to his friends, to the people who are following him, to the people who are trying to be like him, he says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. 
So most of Jesus' teachings to this point have confused even the smartest of the religious teachers of the day. But here in this intimate setting around the table with his closest friends, Jesus is peeling back the mystery, right? He knows his time is short. He's about to go to the cross. And so he's going to reveal to his dear friends the secret of the flourishing life. And he says it 10 times in 11 verses. What word was it? Remain, right? Remaining is the secret sauce here. We are to remain. And again, this like single metaphor is so, so expansive uh, that we don't really have time to plummet, but we're going to try to just drill down into a few things that I think God wants us to really focus on today. And the first thing I want you to see here is that he is saying life is about connection. It's the clearest picture that we have about how you get your life is this relationship between the vine and the branches and the gardener and the grapevine. He's defining for us what life is about, how our connection to Jesus is supposed to work, and he's saying it is actually about who you know. In this case, this is how relationships work for you. And here's what I learned. Uh, Some of you know I am a wine connoisseur, uh, but I learned something really interesting when I was in Napa Valley sampling some wine, is that you can, if you walk through the the vineyards, you can see the canopy, so that's where the leaves are at the top of the plant, right? And you can definitely follow that all the way down to the stump or like the thick vine that goes right into the ground, and that's the vine. So we've got the canopy, the leaves, and the vine. But it's really hard to tell where the vine ends and the branches begin and vice versa, where the branches end and then becomes the vine. They are indistinguishable. So this metaphor is so much richer than Jesus saying like, you're the bricks and I'm the mortar, right? You're, you're the pieces of the building and I'm like the sticky glue that keeps it all together with you. It's so much deeper than that. He's saying our connection is so seamless and so uh, intimate that we actually look like each other. You can't tell where I start and you stop. That is the life that we're being called into. And so just as you hear, maybe the harder word that we're going to spend most of our time on this morning, as you hear this, I want you to know if you are following Jesus, if you have decided to attach your life to Jesus, this means that you are no more closer to him today than you ever will be. Like today is the closest moment you can be with Jesus and you're no further away than your emotions might tell you. You are actually rooted into God. It's not dependent on how you feel. You can actually draw life from God right now. And in this metaphor, the life is shown up. It's, it's magnified. It is evidenced by the fruit. So I know I just said you can't tell where one starts and one stops. But then what I learned is the fruit grows right at that point. If you could distinguish it, if you could distinguish it, that's right where the grapes are. 
you can't tell if you're looking at the actual stem, right? But where the fruit shows up is the point of connection between the vine and the branches. It's so beautiful. And guys, fruit is not an idea. God is not like growing ideas in our life. He's not growing better beliefs. He's not growing um, better confessions even. He's growing fruit. And fruit is practical. It's tangible. It's useful, right? We love fruit because it nourishes us. It nourishes other people. It's delicious. And it's not produced in your own efforts. I think that it's easy to read this passage and hear about the branches that are unproductive getting cut off and thrown away. And to think, my efforts failed. There was something that wasn't good enough. And while that is true, Jesus is saying, of course it is. You don't have life apart from me. You have to draw it from the source. And he's saying, you have to remain in my love. And if you do, it is not if you'll produce fruit, it's when. It's an inevitable result of being in Jesus. So this should be really encouraging, really exciting to us. And I want to spend the rest of the time this morning um, just on this idea of pruning, because I know you're all thinking, but what about the pruning part? Tell me about that. So um, again, there's several factors. I just caught Ed Murray's eye back there. He's our sommelier. Hi, Ed Wave. Ed knows way more about wine than I do. So if you have questions after this, because I don't explain it adequately, please go see Ed. Um, but what I learned is there's lots of different factors uh, that go into creating a beautiful wine and a healthy plant. But one of the most significant by far is how and when it's pruned. Uh, and so we're just going to go through three kind of ideas about pruning here and see what God would speak to us about. Um, this first idea is disease prevention. This is why God is pruning us. The idea is to cut out the disease before it wreaks havoc on the plant, right? And this actually makes sense to us. Now, the cool thing here is that the Greek word used in this passage for prune in verse 2, when he says he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, that word is really, really unusual. He doesn't, it's not the same word there that it is in the other uh, instances when you read this passage. It is actually a word that is very close to the word clean or purified, as our translation says. So it goes on in verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And that is why this sits with such weight to the people who are hearing it because remember back in Jeremiah, that scripture that told us that they were trying to use soap and powders to clean themselves, right? You use an abundance of cleansing powder. You wash yourself with soap, but your guilt is still before me. You do not have an answer to the bad grapes that come up in your crop without Jesus. That's what this is saying. And Jesus is giving us an anticipation that he's saying to his disciples, you've already been pruned. 
You've already, I've already called you to attach your life to me, to follow me, to look like me, to do what I'm doing. And you've been mocked for it. You've been misrepresented. You've been hurt. But there is a deeper pruning coming. Ultimate pruning is when Jesus is going to be taken from them. All right. So keep that in mind as we think about the next idea about pruning. Second reason to prune. It encourages growth. This one is a little more counterintuitive to us, right? If I've got a good thing going, why am I going to come in and clamp it off and cut it off? It's because God is encouraging not just any kind of growth, but a very particular type of growth. He says, pruning is about shape-keeping, You go into any beautiful vineyard, it doesn't hopefully look all straggly and mangled and growing all jagged and really, really tall even. The vines are short. They're kept short on purpose, right? Jesus, for us as his followers, are growing, he's growing a particular shape in our life. And did you notice that both the productive and the unproductive vines, or branches, sorry, branches get cut? This is really where we start to resist, at least I do. Because again, on the surface, this doesn't make sense. But Jesus is wanting us to see that pruning is not just about, oh, that thing looks dead and decaying, let's get it out of here. He's wanting us to know pruning is about discipline. It's about training. And I I love this idea that um, just because the trellis is set up for the vine and the branches, and it's near that in proximity to it, it doesn't mean that you, that, that the branches just kind of hop on it by, himself, by, by themselves. You have to like train the vine to use the trellis appropriately. I learned this this summer. I tried to plant a little uh, box planter on my, on my porch. Christy's laughing at me because I said, Christy, why are my plants like really pale yellow and wilty? And she's like, it's either too much water or maybe not enough water. Maybe there's too much sunlight or not enough sunlight. And I was like, this is unhelpful. This is why I cannot garden, see? Okay, but I did, the only thing I got to grow was some basil. Um, but yeah, I tried, to, I tried to get these beans and these tomato plants to climb this vine. I created a really cool trellis, mm, didn't really take. But I got some basil to grow And again, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm thinking, I know I'm supposed to, like, clip this thing off so it grows more, and it it did all right, but it hurts a little bit to be like, this plant looks pretty beautiful like this. Why am I going to cut its goodness out, right? What is going on here, Jesus? He is encouraging growth in us. And finally, you prune the vine, you prune the branches because we are going for quality fruit. A plant has to redirect its energy in a specific way so that it concentrates the fruit flavors. So that is what the father is doing. He's saying, the good things I have in your life, I'm actually going to reduce them. I'm actually going to reduce them because I want to make them even better. 
And I just love, I just love that it says that God the Father is the gardener in this picture. God is the vine dresser. So what this means is this is precious work to him. This is precise work, and he's doing it himself. He is not going to farm out this task of bringing his expertise to this plant. Only the expert knows how to work with the plant in a way that it brings out its best. And that is what God wants to do with our life. Even though it's painful, this is actually really, really good news. I don't know that I've convinced you all yet, but hang with me here. Even in bad, unproductive seasons of your life, when he cuts, God uses a method that says, I will clip the branch here, but you know what? Next year, there's a chance for a new shoot to grow on that very same branch that got cut off, that very same vine. He wants us to know that there is resurrection life available in this metaphor. So if you're sitting here today reflecting on how you've like wasted seasons in your life, or maybe you're in a pretty unproductive space right now, you can know that there is hope because Jesus is the true vine. You can attach to Jesus in a way that will always, always produce true life. And he's the only source, right? So when he says, I'm the true vine, by implication, he's saying, there's a lot of false vines out there. There's a lot of false things that look like they're going to give you life and they won't. So you can give yourself to the acquisition of money. You can give yourself to growing a social media platform that you're followed in and you get lots of likes and lots of accolade from people. You can give yourself to fame and popularity. And you know what? Those things will slowly over time, instead of bringing life to you, they're going to just cause decay. They're actually going to suck the life out of you. But Jesus has his roots deep into the ground where it pulls its life from. That's that subtle note of resurrection. This was so beautiful as I read it and I thought about, well, the vine is going into the dirt and it has roots and it's drawing its nutrients and life up from a hidden dark place in the ground. And that's the same life that's coming to you and I. So what God is fermenting in the life of Jesus is resurrection. And that's also the life that we get to know. Jesus says, your life can actually taste like where it's planted. So my friend Ed here, I have to share this story. Ed and Maria when they brought us a meal uh, soon after we'd had Aviva, uh, Amos and I decided, let's bust open one of our best bottles of wine. Now, best for us is probably not best for what Ed's tasted. Let's just be honest. Ed has been all over to France and everywhere. But this was a special bottle to us from Napa Valley. And we, it was a crazy idea, but it kind of worked. We flew home like 10 different bottles of wine on an airplane and aged them in our basement. Yes, thanks, Josh. Um, 
and we were trying to time them out to open them exactly when they would taste the best. So this bottle was one that was aged 10 years. And of course, ten, in 10 years, Amos and I have lived in three different houses in three different states and three different regions of the US. The wine was like not climate controlled. It was not in a dark, cold place like it was supposed to be. So I'm kind of nervous. I'm like, this is our best bottle, but this is like, what if this is skunk, right? So Amos pops the cork and we pour the glass and Ed's like going for his first sip. And I'm like, Ed, please tell me it's not skunk. Please tell me it's not skunk. I'm going to be so sad. And he takes a sip and he goes, mm, tastes like Rutherford dirt. Do you remember saying that? It was so good. It was so good. Now, Rutherford is an area in Napa um, that we'd actually been to. And I was like, yes, I get to enjoy this, right? This is what Jesus is looking for in our life as Christians. This is what he says it means. You, you should have the terroir of resurrection. Your life should taste like where it's planted in. It should taste like Jesus. And this is why we can overcome. This is why the selfish person can learn to become unselfish. This is why the hardened heart can become tender. This is why fearful people can become courageous and do hard things by remaining in the words and love of Jesus. But I have to tell you guys, this is probably going to look like a complete waste to the world. This is what we really have to grab onto today. If you walk through a vineyard after it's been pruned, there are just piles of beautiful green leaves and even some grape clusters that are lying there on the ground. There's just piles of practical um, potential there, lying there without a chance to mature. And they're going to get ready to be burned up. And it looks like being reduced because it is because it is. And this doesn't just happen once to the vine. You prune a vine at least once a year, if not twice. There's some winter prunings and some summer prunings. And again, talk to Ed on that. It's very cool, the different kinds of pruning you can do. But it doesn't just happen once. This cutback, this sense of God taking something good can actually happen and will happen over the lifetime, but it's because he is doing such a good thing. I think, you know, for me, one of the sharpest reductions that God has done in my life was just cutting away my plans to get a PhD or my plans to go back to medical school. You guys, I still daydream about being a surgeon. I would love to be a surgeon and do like microsurgery on the larynx and cut out all kinds of stuff. Um, and when I have free time, I literally did this the other day. I thought, oh, this is so deep in me. I had a free moment and I just read the highlights from the Journal of American Medicine. And I'm like, what am I doing? I should be taking a nap or a shower. Like I got a baby, but I'm reading about surgical techniques. Oh boy. So I've shared about this dream with a lot of you, right? But over the years, it was like God saying, ask me, ask me about that thing that you really want. And the answer was always no, no, no. I interviewed at a school for a PhD program. They were like, yes, we love you, do it. I said, no, I'm not supposed to because the answer was so clear from him. And it was painful. And it ultimately led to the decision to walk away altogether from a career that I loved. But that's why I'm standing here today with you guys. 
he was clearing the ground for me to walk into this pastoral calling, which again, I'm not making a a statement about vocations and which is better, right? This is a unique thing. The thing that God will prune in your life is not going to look like mine. I know doctors and lawyers and teachers who are living into their calling by staying in their vocation because that is the place that God's pruning them. I know that's true of your stories. I've sat with you. I've heard them. I've cried with you. I've prayed with you. If that is what God is doing and that's where he's pruning you, stay there. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I think what I am trying to say is God knew that if I would put my roots deep down into fame, into climbing a ladder in a corporate world, into like this sense of power that comes from having all the answers and being able to help people, I realized that that path for me was ultimately going to end up taking life instead of giving it. But I just want to share that to say that sometimes we need to get the perspective of the gardener. We've got to say, God, we don't see fully what you're doing. We're just the branches. We're hanging out on the vine. The gardener has the bird's eye view. He is skilled, and he makes every cut with intention and with precision. There's nothing that God is going to cut out of your life that wouldn't be a gain to lose or would have been a loss to keep. I'm going to say that again. There's nothing that God cuts out of your life that isn't a gain for you to lose it or would have been loss for you to keep it. That is true. That is true today. And you know why? Because at the end of the day, if you want to know what God is up to, what's the whole point of the branches and the fruit, the grapes, the vineyard, what is he doing? You could make the case that he just wants to pick a nice cluster of grapes and sit around eating grapes. I'm not going to make that case. I think the father is making wine. I think that's what he's doing. He's making wine. And it's not any kind of wine. It's not boxed wine. It's not the cheap stuff at the store, right? He's not making that kind of wine. I think when I started drinking wine, it was Yellowtail and uh, Franzia, maybe. No offense if you guys like those, but that's not what God is making. Ed, what's the best glass of wine you've ever had? I'm putting on the spot. This is hard. Do you know it? Thunderbird? Thunderbird? I can't say those words, but that's great. Okay. Uh, uh, That's a white, because you said blanc. What did it taste? Can you no tell tell us a few words? What did it taste like? I'm gonna, I'll repeat it. It was alive. Oh, I love that. We didn't practice this, right? No, we didn't practice this. But I have to tell you, I just asked him what did it taste like. You know what he said? It was alive. Isn't that interesting? It was alive. You take you would taste the life that the wine was giving to you 
but it was at the expense of the death of the grapes. It had to ferment. That is stunning. See, I love that God is not like taking a pumpkin from a pumpkin patch and making pumpkin pie with it. I do love all things pumpkin. We're in pumpkin season. It's great. Don't get me wrong. You see me walking around my pumpkin spice lattes all the time. I love them. But that's not what he's doing here. He could have used any fruit or vegetable, but he said, it's a grapevine. It's a vineyard. I'm going to take the produce of your life and ferment it and draw something out of it that was not there before. And get this, if you pick the grapes and you press them and you ferment them, that bottle of wine will not only keep, but it's going to last for many, many, many years and it's going to get better with age. Do you see how sweet this metaphor is? This is amazing. God is working with grapes because he knows if he leaves them as they are, they're only edible for about a week. Maybe the last a week in my fridge, right? But God says, I am taking the temporal. That's what I'm doing with your life. I'm taking the fruit of your life that will be here today and gone tomorrow unless I do something with it to produce eternity in you. That is what God is doing. All right. The kids are in the room today. Kids, this is my prayer for you. I really hope, I know this was like a lot of talk about things that maybe, you know, you're not allowed to drink wine yet, so not so cool. But hang with me. If you learn this early, you won't have so many false vines to untangle yourself from later. Right? Guys, this matters to me. Oh boy, I'm going to fire it up here. This matters to me because I, I love you all adults. I love working with you. I love hearing your stories. But there are moments where I sit here and I go like, we have 50 years of like formation to something not Jesus happening. And I'm not saying it's bad. If you came to know Jesus at age 50, awesome. God, God loves that. We celebrate that. But there is a reality that if before him and your life was in something else, we're going to have a lot of untangling to do. And this is why it matters so much that our kids are going to be in here with us to learn how to sink the roots of their life into Jesus. So kids, when your parents discipline you, when they say, when you say, I want to go hang out with my friends, but I'm grounded tonight because my parents put a boundary around this. My life is ruined. You've ruined my life. There's so many kids who say that, right, to their parents. No, that's not what God's doing. That's not what your parents are doing. It's a good thing. It's such a good thing. God doesn't want to ruin your life. He wants to give you real life. He's not punishing you. You know, we can be bitter and cynical about God's pruning or we can receive it as a gift. That's just really true. And hopefully as we mature, we become people who can, can do the latter because God really is trying to set us free from things that he knows would have us enslaved if we hung on to them. And for me, I just don't, I don't have a clear picture of what that is without community, without other people saying, Allison, I'm, I'm hearing like tones of pride in your voice. I'm hearing you become critical of people. I'm hearing you uh, move toward judgment. It's like that's, if those things are happening, we got to have a good look at that. That's not the person I'm trying to become. 
So we need help. We need help growing into this particular kind of person that Jesus is inviting us to be. So uh, we're going to spend some time praying for each other this morning. Joanne, you can come on up and help us get into a focus here. But I really hope that you hear this as encouraging. And if you don't, that's okay too. But I want you to look around the room and realize branches are on vines that are in rows, in vineyards for a reason. We are in community. There's The beautiful thing about this is like the grapes of my life get combined with the grapes of Christy's life and Vivian's life and Jen's life and Rusty's life and they all, they go into this fermenting process and they together produce the wine of the kingdom. So we are only going to cultivate this life if we stay in community together. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.